We started this little study that we're going to do about the seven, um, the seven miracles. What? No, we're only going to do one today. Yeah, that, I knew that threw you off last week. Uh, we're we're going to do one a week, Ellie, okay? All right. So um, the seven miracles that John covers in his gospel, and we started in John 2 and looked at this first miracle, which was what? You remember? He turned water into wine. Um, um, so um, it's interesting. I should, I should know this. Um, um, he, he takes this, the time out we said last week to change the molecular structure of water. And so on the way home, my wife completes teaching the class. She should have taught it last week. I should know this. So she says to me something to the effect of, no wonder if he can change the molecular structure of water, no wonder he could walk on it. No wonder he could speak to the storm and cause it to come. Uh, it was hard water. That's right. He's exactly right. By the way, John, welcome, man. It's good to see you. We understand that your neighborhood is devastated, partner. Not far from you. Um, but it's, it's wonderful to have you here with your folks today. and Good to see you again. Um, so, so if he can do that, okay, what else can he do? We're going to look at that. So go to chapter 4, Ellie, for your, for your purposes, we'll be in chapter 5 next week, okay? That will be the third miracle that we talk about, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Now, so um, we're going to start this. It's interesting. He goes back to where that first miracle takes place. Keep that in your mind. Steve Blair, can you go to check? By the way, add to the prayer list. I, I knew I had another one on my brain that I didn't, uh, didn't share. I got a text this morning. Uh, Mary Burleson had surgery this week, and uh, she's done pretty well, but not feeling well this morning. They were intending to be here this morning, and not feeling well this morning. So continue to pray for Mary. Send if you can help us remember that concern, because that was one I didn't write down. It was supposed to be in my brain. Okay, so I'll have to get all this out, and I will. Okay, Steve, go to chapter 2, verse 46, and read down through 49. I'm sorry, chapter, how about chapter 4? Yeah, here we go. Okay. He's back in Cana, which is where we were last week. Evidently, Jesus has achieved, as a result of this wonderfully flowing wine at the wedding last week, in our study last week. He's achieved some kind of regional fame. They kind of know about him in the area. We'll talk about a little bit about the area of Galilee in a second. But um, he's back there where this wine flowed. Now, how would you describe the man that comes to him? The Bible says he's a royal official of some kind. We can only surmise from that that he probably works for Herod, okay? He's probably got access to Herod, okay? Um, and he's some kind of a, of, of a royal official at that point. He's in, in the court of Herod. Um, so this is going to be an unconventional thing. A nobleman 
ask help from a carpenter from a backwater town called Nazareth, okay? The guy who's connected comes to one who at all appearances would be not really connected and ask for help. That's kind of the, the, the setup here. Um, evidently, okay, I've got a member of the team I get to work with at work who will, I will, I will I'll be trying to express a problem. You know, we got, we got a need here. Uh, I don't know how we're going to get from here to here. And my little um, uh, Mexican friend will say, my brother, we are candidates for a miracle. <laughs> He's right. Yeah. But evidently, being a candidate for a miracle requires some humility at least in John 4, doesn't it? A guy who's connected, a guy who really, I mean, isn't it interesting to think he could probably have written a check for a doctor, but he can't fix this. And so he comes, this very connected official comes to Jesus in humility. And we're gonna look at what kind of humility it required. Wayne? Uh, I don't know. I thought about that a little bit. If it is what I think it is and what I talked about last week, and you realize, I mean, I took a stretch, okay? It was probably a little more of a backwater wedding, okay? It was probably more of a peasant's wedding. So would a royal official have been there? Ah, that's kind of a stretch too, but I don't know. Maybe he's heard about it. Uh, and, and, and this news has spread a ways. We're going to talk about that, okay? Um, but that's a great question, Wayne. So, look at verse 47. Sometimes a miracle requires a little bit of action on our part. Would somebody go to 9 and read verse 6 and 7? Somebody go to chapter 9, John 9. That's another miracle. Cindy, if you'd read verse 6 and 7. This is a miracle we'll talk about later, but, but the point is, Jesus didn't just touch him. There was some action required. He did touch him, but he said, now go and wash. And as Cindy read the story, you remember that the blind man, as he washed, as he did what he was told to do, he then could see. All right, there was some action required. Sometimes a miracle requires a bit of action on our part. Let's talk about the action here in uh, chapter four. Um, it's interesting, three times in this chapter, there's a, a reference to this. So look at verse 47, which is kind of where we're parked here, and look at 49. In both of them, um, in both of them, this official is asking Jesus to come down with him. To where? To Capernaum. That's where he's, his base of headquarters is, all right? Capernaum is about 20 miles away, Miriam. Wow. Now, Miriam, you're going to have to remember that till we get to John 9, because I want that to come back out again, but that's incredible. So think about what he had to do to receive the miracle. There was an action involved. Okay, I'm going to go a little further than that, because the man in our story in John 4 walked 20 miles. And if 
if my geography is correct, and I'm not a geographer, in both in verse 47 and 49, and later on we're going to see it even in 41, he's asking Jesus to come down with him. Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. There's about a 5% grade he's going to walk up for 20 miles to receive a miracle. Uh, it's interesting to me. Dallas Willard said it this way. Grace is not opposed to effort. Now, by the way, you read that, for those of us who know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. You remember last week? It took some action on the part of somebody to come up with 180 gallons of water to fill those six stone water pots, right? Somebody would do a little work. So don't think that because I'm a candidate for a miracle, some action on my part is not also required. For this guy, what kind of action did it require? A 20-mile hike uphill. All right? Think about that a bit as we go on in the story. Now, Jesus, after the man says, will you come down with me and touch my son? He has a fever. Jesus makes a comment in verse 48. Let's look at it again because it's interesting. In context, it seems out of context. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Is this still true today? Yes. I think it is. Um, I, I, I'm not sure that Jesus is talking particularly to the man in fact, I wonder if Jesus, this official comes to him, don't you know there are probably those in the scene who are kind of watching this saying, this ought to be good. Right? And as they lean in to see what's going on, I wonder if Jesus speaks over. He does this quite a bit. I'm not sure he's trying to thwart the royal official's faith here and his following through on his faith, taking this 20-mile hike. But I wonder if those around him, he's looking at kind of the thrill-seekers in the crowd when he addresses this. Rhonda had a, a boss years ago when she worked at the, uh, at the Postal Service, and he was a really funny guy. A postmaster, I think. And I'm probably going to butcher this story, but... Um, I, his wife was Roman Catholic, devout Roman Catholic, and he was an attender. Is that about, about it? He, has great knowledge of he, he keeps up with it for her, but it's kind of her thing, and he goes to church with her. And so Rhonda, after one of these news reports comes out about some alleged miracle, Rhonda buys this guy to give to his wife a Mary, a Virgin Mary, Toast stamp. Where do you get something like that? I don't know. 
uh, what? It's called holy toast. So literally, you put this thing on your bread. And so he, the next morning, he goes to breakfast and serves his wife toast with the visage of the Virgin Mary in it. Now, that's kind of goofy, right? But, you know, there are people looking for that kind of stuff all the time. You know? Um, I, I want to see... Uh, I want to see some prediction in my alphabets in the morning. But do they still make alphabets? I don't even know. Okay. In, in my uh, alphabet soup, I want, want it to say, uh, yes, go ahead with that plan. Uh, I've never found that to work all that well. And if I wait for that, I may be waiting a really, really long time. Not that he couldn't. Not that he couldn't, okay? So, I think he's addressing kind of the thrill seekers in the crowd. And he says, man, you people around here are always looking for some kind of a sign. And he's gonna deal with this throughout his ministry. So he's gonna give them a sign. They won't see it, but the royal official was, will. Now, in verse 49 is what I believe is an exercise of faith in his statement back. Look at what the royal official says back to Jesus. He persists, doesn't he? He doesn't take these words in red in verse 48 and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to go back home. He persists. He says, if you'll just come with me, you can help me. And by the way, notice here, he knights Jesus. He calls him sir, you know? Now he's sir Jesus, right? I, I, I find that kind of interesting. Um, he, he gives not, not a term of endearment here, but he, but he gives him a, a, a term of, really, it's interesting. It's kind of a reverse respect here, doesn't he? And he persists. If you'll just come with me, you can help him. Okay, let's go on to verse 50, because we want to read the rest of the story. Steve, we get, we're going to get to hear from you twice. Would you read 59 to 54? So our royal official is going to exercise his faith in a couple of ways here. He takes Jesus at his word. <laughs> you ever been asked, more or less, to take Jesus just at his word? About every day. If you're reading his word, there may be something in there that he's gonna tell you, and he's gonna say, you can trust me. I've got a 2,000 year track record. You can count on this. I'm not going to lie to you. And so, he just turns and leaves. A 20-mile act of faith. Now, he's going downhill this time. But he turns and acts on his faith, putting, and my term lately has been this. There are times when 
I can't see the end from where I am. And so I've just got to put one foot in front of the other. One faithful step after another. And see where this is all going to lead. Interesting to me, when Abraham was being called to a place he'd never been to, out of a very comfortable place where he had grown up, he gets up every morning and says, okay, God, where are we going today? And if, you, if I'm reading the book of Genesis correctly, every day when Abraham gets up and says, where are we going today? God says, I am. And Abraham says, no, wait a minute, Lord, maybe you didn't understand the question. Where are we going today? And God says, I am. And so Abraham steps out by faith and God leads Moses did the same thing. So he steps out by faith, and he's going to walk several miles before his faith is confirmed. Um, again, if you look at verse 47 and 49, and here in 51, let me read 51 to you again, uh, that same thought here. Um, about he, he's walking down, so that means he has had to walk up. As he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was living. So he's going, uh, the royal official was once again going down. That requires that he had at first walked up. So what else can we learn about just from verse 51 by itself about his status? First of all, he's connected. He has servants that meet him on the road. Hey, we, we just, we're trying to meet you halfway to let you know uh, your son is better. So he's connected. He's got some status. What else can we glean from just from verse 51 about his attitude? Believe. He believed. Let me change one letter in that thought. Don't you think he's relieved? <laughs> Don't you think he's pretty excited to get home? Um... One commentator I wrote said, uh, and by the way, my wife's going to laugh at this because I use this term all the time. This is not a saunter. There's a member of my family who, who walks often at full saunter, and I have to look back and say, oh, yeah, I need to slow down. This is not a saunter. And remember, he's not walking uphill anymore. He's in a hurry to get home, see what's going on. He believes. He acts on that belief. And meeting him along the way are his servants who say what? Hey Amen. Relax. Take your time. He's good. He's been expectant. And that expectation, can you imagine the smile on this fellow's face? as he walks the rest of the way, whatever that is. But he's also got a question, okay? He's also got a question. I think I would have this question too, but you've got to catch it now, okay? This is not the guy who, uh, who travels through the, the uh, uh, goes to the uh, uh, parking lot at Baptist Hospital in rush hour and says, Lord, I've, I've got to get there quickly. Will you help me find a parking space? If you will, I'll give up beer. And about that time, somebody pulls out, and I pull right in, and, uh, 
And I say, hey, never mind, Lord, I've found one. Okay? Not that guy. He's expectant. He is faith-filled. And his first question is, you just don't miss this. The time of the son's healing was crucial. Don't miss this. Hey, he's better. Okay, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. You got you to gotta tell me. What time was it? What time was it? Seventh hour, which, by the way, depending on where you're looking at, a Roman calendar, a Roman sundial, I guess, and a, and a, uh, a Jewish one, we're going to say it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Or if it was in daylight savings time, it was at noon. Yeah. Oh, I think it was his last resort, Ellie. But that makes the miracle even more wonderful. And he says, so what time was it? Why do you want to know what time it was? Well, there's something going on here. So in verse 53, the official believed, and he led his family in that belief, in that faith. Go with me just for a minute. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back. But go to Acts 16. That's just the next book to the right. Paul and Silas have been in jail, and the, uh, they're singing hymns after being beaten. I wonder what they sang. Maybe. You know, a little early for that one, but it's something like that, right? They're singing, and the, their chains fall off, and the prison doors open up, but they just hang where they are. The jailer hears there's been, a, you know, something violent going on, and he shows up. He's about ready to do something um, awful. And Paul and Silas say, hey, hey, time out, pal. We're here. Everybody's here. Don't sweat it. We're good. Look at verse six, chapter 16. Look at verse 31 and 32. Somebody read those two verses for us. The Philippian jailer says, guys, what am I going to do to be saved? If you'll believe, you'll be saved, you and your household. Do you notice here in John 4? Not only did the royal official accept Jesus by faith, but he led his family in faith as well. The official believed and led his family in faith. He acted further on his faith by introducing those closest to him, those he loved the most. By the way, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. To talk about my faith to those who I'm closest to. We're going to talk about another group that's kind of hard to talk about my faith to in just a minute. But I began to think about how he led his family to faith in Christ. They had not met him. He'd seen him at work. What do you think he said to his son? You know, the sick son. The formerly sick son. It was a man named Jesus. 
don't you know? He said, son, you got to tell me what happened yesterday. Well, you know, I woke up. I was feeling really bad, and I woke up, and my fever was gone. So I got up and went in where everybody else was, and they were all upset, and here I walked in, and I just said, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Can you guys get me something to eat? And the dad said, you know what time that was? Yeah, they tell me it's like 1 o'clock. Son, do you know who I was with? You know who I was with right then? The man who healed you from 20 miles away. He said to me, right when you got up, he said to me, go on home. Your son's better. And he used that story, that combination of things to lead the son, the rest of the family to faith. Now, verse 54 to me is kind of a, now, there are several of these in the Gospel of John and other places too, but, the, but this is one where it's, it's kind of a, Kind of a postscript. It's kind of a kind of a, a summation of things. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea, don't miss this, into Galilee. Uh, it's interesting. It's going to be harder to do what Jesus does with the big shots in Judea. It's just going to be harder because here in this backwater place like Cana, it seems to me there must be a lot more observable, visible faith in Galilee, at least thus far. Now let's think for a minute about our royal official friend whose life has been turned upside down. In what way? In a really good way, right? His son has been healed. His family now has a new faith, but now he's got to go back to work with who? Herod. It would have been hard to go back to Herod's court as a believer. How many times have I sat across the desk from somebody who's saying, uh, I need the Lord to help me find a new job? What's up? Are you not paid well? No, I'm paid pretty well. What, what's going on? What? I'm the only Christian in my office. Yeah? And? <laughs> you know? You've said it. Can you imagine what this guy's life would be like? He goes back. He's visibly different. His life has been changed. He's been radically transformed by Jesus' healing power and by the power of his own faith. And he walks, walks into work on that Monday morning and he's whistling, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. By the way, that, that one hadn't been written yet, but okay, go with me with that one. And the boss says, what's up with you? My dad used to, my, my grandfather, my mom's dad, who, who lived with us for a long time, whistled a lot. 
And uh, uh, it was usually something like Home on the Range. I could kind of remember my papa whistling Home on the Range. And my dad would say about my mom's dad, his father, he'd say, well, Grandpa must have had chicken for breakfast. I don't know what that meant. But as this royal official walks in, he's whistling, what a friend we have in Jesus. Nobody is going to say, well, he must have had chicken for breakfast. They're probably going to say, there's something different about you. And by the way, First Peter says, that's your moment. What happened to you? Oh, let me tell you. I'll never be the same again. I'll never be the same again. What? Well, I took a 20-mile hike, and I met a man who changed my life. It's hard to do, especially in a place where there are no other believers. But I think, you know, I just think. Now, so Jesus does miracles. We looked last week on the microscopic level, and this week on the macro level, okay? From 20 miles away, he touches a boy's hypothalamus and says, turn the heat down. And there's no acetaminophen involved in this. There's no aspirin involved in this. But tell you the truth, to the one who set the parameters of the speed of light, don't you think he can cause sound waves to travel 20 miles to a little boy's sick bed? Fever, be still. Oh, the little boy probably didn't hear it. But it happened. Don't you think? Now, Mark Batterson says, if you want to experience a miracle, sometimes you got to go way out of your way. If you want to experience a miracle, sometimes you got to go way out of your way. At this point, it was not only 20 miles, it was 40 miles in some ways. So I just want to ask, how serious are you about your need? One more thing. Where have the miracles already taken place in your life? Have you taken count of that? Do you write them down? Do you do something with it? Have you told your children about the miracles that have taken place in your life? If this boy was eight or nine years old, he's going to forget this story. Do you suppose his dad needs to, at 21, say, okay, it's now time for my faith to become your faith. And I got to tell you, there's something that happened in your life when you were nine that whether, if you don't remember it, I got to remind you of it. Where have the miracles already taken place in your life? When your faith is challenged or wearing thin, maybe it's time to go back to Cana. Go back there is what I left a blank for you to write. Uh, I had not been at Mid-America, but uh, a year or maybe two. Um, by the way, I've been there now 16 years. That's nuts. Uh, and um, we were taking a spring break. Now, spring break's coming up next week. I don't get one next week. Maybe you do. That's a good thing. But I remember thinking, when I worked here, I remember thinking, 
What adult gets a spring break? Come on. But I got one, okay, because I was teaching full-time, and we took a spring break, and we drove to Grapevine or somewhere, and I, I found a, a, a cheap Holiday Inn or something, and we stayed there for three or four days and kind of drove around the, the metro. Uh, Bill, I rode Miriam's train down there. Never done that before. Rode Miriam's train down there. Got a car in Fort Worth and drove over to, to or Dallas or wherever they put you in and, and, and drove over to wherever we were staying. But one evening, I hadn't been there since 1985. One evening, we went to eat dinner in Fort Worth. We drove over to Fort Worth. And it's getting almost dusk. And I said to Rhonda, if you're done, I want to take you somewhere. And we went by the seminary. And then we drove to a little house. where we lived for the three and a half hardest years of my life. And the three and a half most wonderful years of my life in so many ways. My kids were three and four when I checked in to the seminary. Rhonda worked for an attorney in town, and I took care of my kids more than I'd ever taken care of them in my life. And I went to school, and we took extra hours in the summer so I could get through, because we, you know, we ended up putting baloney on credit card. You've heard me tell that story. And we made our way. I, I, said, I think I can find this. And we made our way into the south part of Fort Worth and found this little house where we lived with our two kids. And I was then like I am now. Sweetie, can you believe we made it through that? Sometimes you got to go back. You've got to remember. As Woody used to sing and as you've sung, if you could see where he brought me from and where I am today, Andre Crouch sang, take me back to the place I first believed. Maybe this Easter would be a good time if your faith is wearing kind of thin. Make a trip to Cana. In Cana, evidently, and ask Rhonda about this book. She'd be glad to recommend it to you. But one of her favorite writers writes about the Celts who believe that there are certain places that are closer to heaven than other places. She's going to call them in her writing what the Celts call it, a thin place. It's a place where heaven's just a little bit closer. John, it ain't in Texas. Actually, for me, it is. It's in Fort Worth, yeah. Maybe you need to go to that. But what, I don't know what that place is. That doesn't mean you need to get on an airplane and go to Israel, okay? It's okay if you want to do that. But find your Cana. There were miracles taking place there in John 2. There's another wonderful miracle taking place 20 miles from there in John 4. What place do you need to go back to?
when your faith is wearing thin. And you need to remember, wow, he showed up here big time. And I remember it. And I'm going to tell my kids about it. And I'm going to act on it. Okay. L.E., miracle number three. Not three through seven. Number three. In John 5 next week, okay? Going to read ahead, and we'll be there. Thank you for being here this incredibly early. Have a great Sunday. I'll see you next week. <laughs>